You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hello, guys. I'm so glad we get this special chance to talk together with Carly Palmer Webb. She is a sex education specialist and researcher, and we are just so grateful today that she is helping you to amp up your sexual goals together. So we are going to get moving in that direction very soon, and I definitely want you to know before that that this whole month, if you're listening live, May of 2023, we are talking about goal getting. Some of you might remember that in January, we like to start off with just getting some balance and some healthy rhythms together. Maybe some of you are even going through our Enneagram Marriage Glow Relationship Planner. I hope you are in a healthy rhythm regardless. And I want you to know that this is a month to check into all these most important areas of life where you can just ask yourself, how am I doing with my self-care? How am I doing with showing up for my spouse? How am I doing with showing up socially? I want you guys to know that reaching out, loving your spouse, connecting with them, loving others. There's a lot of good research that tells you and I that we actually have such a gift ourselves even when we love others. I don't want to geek out on you too much. I do this on the Wednesday deep dive subscriber episodes if you ever want to join us for those, but we actually have evidence that when you are being kind to one another, we have a down regulation of pro-inflammatory genes that shows up. So you can actually see the RNA gene expression and more antiviral gene expression when you give to others, which is so beautiful that there's literal blood differences when you are showing up in love. And yet, I'm going to say a big and yet here, we do not want you imploding or falling apart as you do this. There is a delicate balance and each one of us will have to find that individually. So no pressing on too hard or pressuring others too hard as you grow in love and in finding your own neuroplasticity and balance and all of that. But this episode, this whole month, these are opportunities for you to really find healthier rhythms, to reach a little farther and harder for goals for loving your person and your world. And I truly believe that if you find your healthy sexual intimacy together, this will be one more beautiful balance you can bring. So I'm really excited for that. I also want to say, make sure you're up there balancing your instincts all around. Just how are you doing? Ask yourself right now before we get started. How are you doing on self-care? Are you making sure that you're getting sleep and rest? Are you making sure that you are getting some fitness? I have been holding myself accountable to both the self-care and the social by becoming part of Pure Bar ever since late January and also drinking athletic greens and just really trying to make sure that I'm socially building up and I'm always doing these team projects with them and it's a very social way to work out and it's been really good for me in, in both of those two areas of connecting with others others as well as with making sure that I take my time to get those workouts multiple days a week and then also for you who are just like 
you know, I don't have time for that. That's too much time. It's too much money. You don't have to do that same thing. Just for you, you might be like, yes, I do these brisk cardio walks and I am killing it out there. So whatever you are doing, be proud of yourself. Or maybe you're like, I made the call to the doctor or I got sleep or I got physical therapy because I haven't been able to walk lately. And and there are so many different seasons of life we each have. So make sure whatever you're in right now that you are attending to that so that you can give out in this area. This episode is a very one-to-one area where you're really learning and researching with us. How do I lean in here, especially if maybe I grew up in a priority culture mode, which we know many of you did. And we'll be talking to Sheila Ray Gregoire about how to help goals for our kids in this area and teaching them to rise up in healthy ways. And we just have so many great tools for you in that area. And then, like I said, socially, we know that that's also like where this research shows up, like giving to others and giving to the world and and knowing that that's how you're wired is to be not only social, but lovingly social. And we don't have to look the same as the next couple over either. So be looking and learning with me this whole month about what goals you can set together. And I just love that we have somebody who is not afraid at all to talk about sex with us. I love, love, love how Carly has this freebie. And this is one of the things I caught right away where she has really requested info and interviewed 500 women about how they learn to orgasm. So she is going there with us guys. And this is one of those podcasts where you're going to want to check out her research because there's loads more over there, but let's tune in together here and learn together right here too. Okay. Carly, we are so thrilled to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage podcast. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, this is so exciting. We are just so happy for you. First of all, congratulations on welcoming your baby soon, right? Thank you. Yes, yes. We got about a month. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. And tell us anything you want about family, baby, anything, wherever you're at. Oh gosh. (laughs) Pregnancy is hard. So I just want to congratulate anyone who has gone through it. (laughs) Made it through it, man. It is no joke. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Especially where she's at, like you're doing something beautiful to distract yourself, but you know, we know you're putting everything into every minute of every day at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot. Goodness gracious. It's a lot. (laughs) Yes. The women are very strong. It's very Mm -hmm. admirable that you're walking this journey and sharing with us. So thank you. Yes, of course. Happy to. Oh, well, tell us a little bit about, we know that probably you're an Enneagram too, and we're not going to dissect you today. Don't worry. It would not be good to do to a pregnant woman in late stages, <laughs> but, but we're just going to hold that lightly to wing three lightly today. Um, tell us a little bit about how you met your hubby. We always love to hear a bit of a meeting story. Yeah. So um, my husband and I met playing volleyball, actually. We're both very tall and love volleyball a lot. So that was kind of our first connection. So we were both in school. I was doing my graduate program in marriage, family, human development, and he was finishing his last year of his undergrad. So he's about four years younger than me. And we were playing volleyball in college and I saw him the first day that we were playing and I was like, Ooh, he's cute. And then I heard him talking to this other guy while we were playing on the same team about living in the freshman dorms in 2013. And I was like, Oh, he's young. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I kind of dismissed it a little bit because I was like, oh, I'm a lot older than him. That's maybe we'll we'll just pass on that one. Not yeah. that age differences are bad, but I was like, eh, we're at different life stages. It's fine. Yeah. But we kept playing together and I just I couldn't help myself. He's too great. So he asked me out after a couple months and we dated for about a year and a half and then got married. Oh, yeah. I love All because you. of volleyball. That's so cool. I love your balance and how you're like, we had our athletics going as yeah. we were studying and was he also <laughs> studying marriage and family or is he a different field? No, no, he was manufacturing engineering. So very different and very emotionally mature as well, which is what initially drew me to him. Well, besides the volleyball. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my so, gosh. I love that you guys yeah. share that and you'll hopefully always share that love of athleticism. And like you said, um, yeah. well, tell us a little bit about why you chose the field of marriage, family, human development. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of just started as a personal curiosity. I grew up in a very conservative religious home and had a kind of an ideal childhood, honestly. I love my family. My parents are incredible. Yeah. The only thing <laughs> yeah. that my parents weren't great at in the parenting realm was sex education. It just wasn't something that we talked about. It wasn't a conversation that I ever had with my parents and in their defense, they never had it in their childhood either. So, you know, who can really blame them? Yeah. But I, I graduated high school and then went to college and I had these convictions about what I wanted sex to be in my life. I wanted to wait until marriage to have sex, but I honestly didn't have any understanding of what that would really mean or what it looks like to navigate sexual desires and arousal as a single person. And, Mm. and so I decided that I should maybe try to educate myself a little bit, Mm. but I didn't really know where to go. (laughs) And and it was kind of tricky finding resources that I felt like aligned with my personal values, but were also really open about, sex and sexuality and desire and consent, you know, I wanted to learn, but didn't really know where to look. So that journey just kind of led to, I took a healthy sexuality class at my university and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. (laughs) And then eventually decided to go to grad school and study healthy sexuality as my research emphasis. And um, this was still before I was married, but I just decided that I would try and become the sex educator that I wished I would have had, Mm -hmm. especially as a really young adult, you know, 18 to 22, just trying to figure out this new world of serious dating and sexuality. And so that's what my goal was when I went to grad school I wanted to become the person that I needed and hopefully I can be that for other people specifically other Christians or people from conservative religious groups who are trying to live in a certain way who have some sexual morals but also want to be educated And I think that's really important to distinguish today because we have a lot of people who are writing outside of that zone. And we're just reminding that this podcast is for the one-to-one marriage and 
Um, and that's not even just, you know, that's sort of becoming less common. So mm-hmm. I like that you're saying, hey, I want to help people who are working really hard at marriage one-to-one to have a healthy sexuality. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it is such an incredible journey. It can be such an incredible journey, but I think for a lot of people, just the lack of education is keeping them from living best experience that they can as a single person. And then within their marriage, Mm -hmm. they can have this incredible sexual relationship with their spouse, but they just don't quite have the knowledge or resources to get there yet. So Mm -hmm. hopefully we can help to make make that shift. And your Instagram helps so much. I am so impressed with it as I've shared with my audience and I really am excited for them to find it today in the show notes. So go there guys, but not yet because we have an exciting (laughs) question to ask Carly now. And that is some of your research, which I love before we got on that we were talking about, you know, clinical and maternity leave and how beautiful that you're a clinical researcher. So you can uh, be able to do that from anywhere. And we know you have already studied 500 women and orgasms. And I am so fascinated that you a asked this topic and B, I cannot wait to hear what you discovered about it. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that research project was like and what it surrounded uh, with this whole topic. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have to admit as a researcher, because this is just (laughs) in the field, this, this little baby study was very informal. So my hope is after maternity leave that we can do a more formal version on a much larger scale, but I just, I get so many messages from women who haven't been able to learn how to orgasm yet. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're in, um, long-term monogamous relationships. Most of them are Christian and married and have been married for years, sometimes decades, right? Mm -hmm. And still haven't been able to learn how their body experiences orgasm. And so because it's a pretty unique experience, Mm -hmm. I thought, gosh, what can I do for these women? Because it's different for everyone. Mm Yeah. So I just decided to try and gather as many personal experiences as I could about women initially learning how to orgasm. Mm. So I had women share, there were only two things <laughs> that they were sharing about. One was how they initially learned to orgasm. Mm-hmm. And then the second was what the experience of orgasm is like for them. Because recognizing orgasm is also one of the tricky parts, especially for women who are just learning. And sometimes orgasms start really subtle. Mm. So the when you experience it, you'll know doesn't always work for everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all these women shared, and then I, I coded the data to try and figure out what the most common experiences were, Mm. and then just kind of put together a little guide (laughs) with all the feedback. And it was so fun. I mean, the biggest takeaway for me was just that it really is different Mm -hmm. for everyone, but there are a lot of common experiences too. So, so the guide kind of just breaks it down. Like this was the most common way that women experienced orgasm. And this is the second most common way, you know, so people just have some things that they can try. 
Oh my goodness. That is so fantastic. And I love that it was, I honestly love that it was qualitative informal research because as much as I understand that we want things to have the quantitative data behind it, Mm -hmm. I really like how in this informal setting, we get the heart and you get real conversations with people who aren't worried about, uh, you know, being under a microscope as much. And, um, it's, it's, it just changes informed consent, everything. Of course you get that, but like, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating that you got this anecdotal research. And I know that when people can get their hands on the guide, that's going to be the deep dive, but do you have anything you can share with our listeners even preliminarily to help them to understand women's orgasms better? Sure. Oh gosh, there's so much, but Mm -hmm. I think a couple of main takeaways that I could share. The first one is, I think it's important to acknowledge that what's happening in your mind Mm -hmm. is just as important, if not more important than what's happening with your body Mm -hmm. when you're working towards learning to orgasm. Mm -hmm. Your brain is your largest sexual organ. Mm So So what you're thinking about where you are mentally will really impact your body's ability to respond to physical arousal. Mm -hmm. And of course, for women, that can be a little bit tricky because we have a lot going on. We have a big capacity (laughs) for what we're able to do. But because of that, we've got a big mental load, things that we're thinking about things that we want to get done, things that we're worried about. And then sometimes you'll introduce things like body insecurity or discomfort or things like that, that are on your mind during a sexual encounter. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult for women to experience physical pleasure when their mind isn't there with their spouse in their sexual experience. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the main things that I would encourage women to work on if they're learning to orgasm for the first time, or just trying to enjoy their sexual experience more Mm -hmm. is to work on sexual mindfulness, as it's sometimes called really getting your mind to be in the same place as your body is with your spouse focused on the love that you're experiencing for your spouse, the physical experience that you're having with your spouse And that mental energy will help so much with the physical experience. That's one big thing. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And do you think even like getting your breathing in line or eye contact or just kind of feeling it out per person? Definitely. I think that, I think that both of those things that you mentioned are really good ways to practice sexual mindfulness, Mm -hmm. just doing things to kind of center yourself and make sure that your focus is your spouse and your experience together. Mm, Okay. And that's helpful to hear just really keeping you two foremost in your mind and the love you share and not allowing your mind with all of its capacities to just go into different directions, which totally Mm -hmm. makes sense because some of my clients over many years who have been sixes, um, which are more of our worried types have told me, not only do I not orgasm, but it doesn't bother me that much. And of course that's not all type sixes, but it's just interesting when you say that, because I understand that they're very mental types and they're Mm -hmm. moving in a lot of different directions. So that makes a lot Mm -hmm. of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it it is tricky to to slow your mind down, Yeah, (laughs) but it does, it does help so much. Mm, That is awesome. And they can also 
find your guide where before I move on to the next question, because I want to make sure they know where they can get their hands. Yeah, you can, you can find it on my website, which is the Christian sex educator.com or on my Instagram, which is also the Christian sex educator. It's free. Anyone can, anyone can download it. I do have you sign up. I was a little bit nervous Mm-hmm. that um people who were not quite ready for the guide yeah yeah <laughs> access it so anyway but you you can't get it for free in either of those places oh that's amazing thank you and thank you for your ongoing commitment to study but like you said it's where your passion lies and where you mm-hmm. had a need and i think that's often our very best customer is the person we were when we needed it most so yeah. i love that's a very genuine place to do business from so it makes me happy um <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Um, because yeah, you're like, I want to love my job and and I'm glad you do. Um, so tell me a little, or tell us a little bit about, um, just, there's a lot of women and also men, but who struggle with low libido and especially mm-hmm. once marriage is going and after the honeymoon stage, um, but some even before that, can you tell us more about what your studies have revealed about this? Yeah. So low libido isn't something that is an, a research emphasis for me necessarily, but okay. because of my field, I have personally <laughs> yeah. researched it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big mis- misunderstandings about low libido yeah. is people think that they're experiencing low desire or no desire when in reality, they're it, they're often experiencing a different type of desire than they're expecting. So are there people who are truly low desire? Yes, of course, men and women. Yes. Um, but oftentimes, what, the more that I talk to someone or as they go through one of my courses, they realize, oh, I'm not actually low desire. I just experience a different kind of desire than I was expecting myself to. So what we expect sexual desire to look like, mostly because of what we've maybe seen in the media or just what makes the most sense to us is called spontaneous sexual desire. And that's when it just kind of pops out of nowhere. You're just going about your day or you see your spouse and you're like, ooh, I think I want to have sex. Yeah. And that desire absolutely happens. But for a large majority of women and a lot of men, that's not a common experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, most women, and again, a lot of men too, experience responsive desire or context-specific sexual desire. Mm-hmm. So it's not just popping out of nowhere into your brain, which is kind of what we expect sexual desire to look like. Mm-hmm. It's it's building on something that you're experiencing. So with responsive sexual desire, you're experiencing desire after physical arousal. Mm-hmm. So you might be kissing your spouse or engaging in some light foreplay or something. And then you're like, oh, I think I want to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> That's when the desire comes or there's an explicitly sexual context, you know, mm-hmm. the dimmed lights and the candles and the lingerie laid out on the bed if yeah. you want, you know. There's a context like that. Yeah. And then after you are experiencing that context, after you're in that context, you're like, "Okay, yeah, actually I do want to have sex." Mm-hmm. Those types of desire are much more common. For, for the women that I work with mm-hmm. and recognizing that you're, you are experiencing sexual desire. It just looks different. Yeah. 
can be really helpful because we can work with that, right? We just have to put ourselves into the position to build sexual desire. We have to be willing to engage in some physical touch with our spouse, or we have to be willing to put together kind of a sexual context for ourselves and our spouse. Mm -hmm. That kind of sexual desire, you can experience so much more of it if you're willing to put yourself in the right situation. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, the, the little step of willpower or, energy that it will require because it does and we're all lacking in energy (laughs) just to put yourself in that context Mm. it can be really helpful so that's the first thing that I would encourage Mm. um, people to try and understand is what type of desire they're experiencing they can think about the last time that they really thought oh I actually really do want sex what did that, that look like And how can you replicate that situation? I think that's a big one. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good way for them to look for their responsive desire to return. And Mm -hmm. you really helped us. We've talked on this show about initiative versus responsive desire. But what you really clarified more is that it's less common for women or some men also to have initiative Mm -hmm. desire. And and you also Mm -hmm. reminded us about the context and how important that can be so that people are not shaming themselves for not having as high of arousal levels as others. And who knows that some of those others don't already put themselves in the context and also uh, are speaking from a place of responsive desire. So it's also semantics. I love that you're speaking that out. But it's interesting when you say that, because I'm imagining a lot of times with people being tired, they don't have the energy to even give a little bit. So what do you talk about with couples or women who are saying, I want to want it, but I don't want it? Yeah. Well, I think with the energy one specifically, I wish that there were a magic bullet that would be the answer to all of these energy problems, but especially (laughs) for, especially for mothers, maybe especially for mothers of young children, there's just so little energy (laughs) to go around, but um, But that's a huge field. You're right for the younger and also the pregnant moms and the moms who are like breastfeeding. Yes. And they're, they're touched out by the end of the day. They're absolutely exhausted. And the idea of trying to transition into sexy mode with their spouse just feels so overwhelming. Yeah. So let me just start by saying that's so normal Mm -hmm. and you are giving so much of yourself during the day. Thank you for doing that. It matters. That's incredible. And it's no wonder that you don't feel like you have the energy for sex. So you don't need to feel guilt about that. That's a completely normal, completely valid experience. Mm. Something that may help as you try to address this because, you know, you want to prioritize your sexual relationship with your spouse. For women who are in this situation, I would strongly encourage scheduling sex. Mm -hmm. I know that that might sound a tiny bit lame. Not on this podcast. We talk a lot about it. So thank you. (laughs) And you don't even have to, you don't even have to tell your spouse that you're scheduling it if you don't want to, Mm -hmm. but at least in your own mind, you say, okay, today's Sunday on Wednesday, 
mm-hmm. night or Wednesday mm-hmm. on lunch break, whatever it is. Yeah. I'm going to try and have sex with my spouse. And then during the day, you can just kind of prepare yourself a little bit. So mm-hmm. reserve a little bit of energy. Yeah. Maybe that night you do super easy dinner. Like kids, we're having cereal to dinner for dinner yeah. tonight. So yeah. enjoy, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. just, just try and plan for sex that day. Does it mean that when you get to that day, you'll be 100% stoked about it and totally ready? No. And can you always change your plan? Of course. Mm, <laughs> but good. having it planned can mm. help you to mentally and emotionally prepare so that it's not a decision after the kids go to bed. Yeah. That can be a really difficult time to make the decision. Mm. Yeah. But then, but then again, that does you have to be willing just to do something to get yourself in the mood and transitioning from mom mode to sexy wife mode can be a little tricky mm-hmm. but even just try initiating a kiss with your spouse and just okay, I'm going to kiss my spouse. And if I feel like having sex afterwards, I will. And if I don't, that's okay. We'll just have a nice physical experience together that won't lead to sex. And that's good too. Yeah. So schedule sex and then just, just engage just a tiny bit. It's like when you know you need to exercise and you just don't mm-hmm. have the energy. So all you do is put on your workout clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I spend the whole day in my workout clothes and never actually work out. Right. But, you know, I tried. <laughs> yes. That's all. Oh, that's it's just beautiful. Yes. You just try to take one step towards that experience. And even if it doesn't end in sex, at least you'll have some connection with your spouse that matters that day, some sort of physical connection, which is really powerful, even if it's not a sexual encounter. It's true. And I think that's why the little kid years and the teen years with kids are the two largest pockets for divorce, because I think these are the times when couples don't know what to do. Like you said, they're tapped out for the same reason, but just different aged kids of kids not being tired, kids up at all hours, kids up early to bed late, and parents are wiped out. So it's really interesting how I think these do go together and how what you're saying really validates that even if you can't be fully sexually intimate, nurturing the love and the romance and the chemistry and showing that you at least want to. I'm thinking of the scene from Family Man. I love this movie and so does my husband, Wes, but Taya Leone is uh, looking at Nicolas Cage and my kids think Nicolas Cage is so like hilarious to make fun of, but they love him. We have like a Nicolas Cage pillow. Anyway, um, he is so like, they're both trying to pretend they're asleep at different points of the show because A, sometimes intimacy goes off and B, sometimes you're just tapped out. So there's still love there though. And the love gets even deeper and they're like, we don't want kinky sex in this moment. What we want is the deep heart connection. And I think there's just so much to be said for showing that even on a Hollywood screen of how that's so normal. Yeah, totally. I love there aren't a lot of movies that show realistic sexual experiences or even marital relationships. And I love when they they do. Me too. Oh my gosh. And like, this is us. And there's so many others that do that really well, but I love that we're hearing from you, like at least giving it that try helps. Mm -hmm. And it, it really helps. Sounds like the spouses to connect with each other. Like, I know you mean to love me versus I don't think you care. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And I also think that communicating with your spouse when you have nothing left to give, that's mm. an important part too, mm. that you you don't have to come up with excuses for not wanting sex. You don't have to <laughs> pretend like you're asleep. Yeah. Right. Funny. Um, <laughs> no, like you can say, I mm-hmm. love you and I want to be with you, but mm. I am exhausted and I have been holding children all day and I'm just totally touched out. Mm -hmm. So can we just talk tonight and then maybe we can try for sex tomorrow. Yeah, Being really open about your own experience also builds intimacy in a beautiful way Mm -hmm. and can, can dissipate some of the guilt that you might be experiencing that is unnecessary, right? We, we Mm -hmm. mostly in our minds know that we maybe don't need to feel guilty about things like this, but we usually find a way to feel guilty about it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That can be helpful. But now we have Carly's words to remind us. (laughs) You don't have to, like, you don't have to shame yourself. You're already exhausted and burnt out. But Mm -hmm. if your spouse knows that you guys can work together and I absolutely love your cereal for dinner idea. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that those nights are very important. And um, I think that when you're older, you're reminding me of how sometimes we have to say we're going to bed at this time. If we know our children are safe and then they can stay up a little longer because teenagers like to stay up till one 30 and, um, you know, they have to, cause they're doing college and high school work. And so they often like most of my daughter's friends are like up even later. And so that's Mm -hmm. just for us. We're like, Oh, we're homeschooled family. Like you can generally go to bed by 11, 1130, but we're talking about like you know, parents of young kids, there's the 7.30, 8pm gap. And I think that these creative, like you're just making me really want to say this on the air that you have to be creative with your family. Yeah. Yeah. And that if you're waiting until your kids go to bed to have sex, you're mostly going to be too tired. Mm. (laughs) So finding ways like your kids, it's totally appropriate for your children to know that you have a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're not going to know the details. And when they're young, they won't know what that means. Yeah, But you can have like Friday night home date night where the kids eat whatever they can find and mom and dad are locked in their bedroom starting at 7 p.m. And mm-hmm. you don't come and get them unless, you know, something's on fire or somebody's hurt. <laughs> you, know? yes. you can set some boundaries for your relationship mm-hmm. so yes. that you can have time together even when your kids aren't sleeping. Oh, tell our, yeah, they just don't, (laughs) they just don't. Or you have one that's up super early. Like we do. And another one, like our six is up super early. Our six is seven ish kid. Who's like very uh, energized in the mind. And then our type four child loves to stay awake till late into the night. (laughs) And then our type nine is sleepy all the time. (laughs) So she's Mm -hmm. easy, but it's also like you said, just so helpful for people who do struggle with the shame around sex, which so many do, like you said, just from not knowing, even not, not necessarily their parents tried to be evil about it, but, um, but just you're reminding them, please don't feel like your kids can't hear that you have a healthy sexuality. Like that's okay. Mm. And that's actually healthy. As long as it's not, like you said, excessive. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And they should, they should see forms of physical affection, 
Mm. I mean, I shouldn't say should, because every couple gets to do things how they want to, but it's good for your children to see you and your spouse kissing and cuddling and holding hands and stuff. You can have a relationship with each other while your kids are awake. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are like, I shouldn't. And, and so Mm. I like how you're saying, let's not should in the other direction too far, but let's also remember that it's super healthy and that I can at least attest that many times in my uh, virtual office or in-person office, people have said to me, I never saw my parents touch. And that was a problem for my marriage because I didn't know how to receive nurture or ask for nurture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's something that my husband and I have talked about a lot because I come from a very physically affectionate family and he comes from a family that's less. So, Mm -hmm, (laughs) and, mm -hmm. and even still after several years, he still is kind of uncomfortable engaging in physical affection in any sort of public setting, even, even with our, with our families, you know, that holding hands is about, you know, that's, that's as far as he can go and feel comfortable in front of other people. So it does impact the way that you show up as an adult. It does. And there's no getting around it. Like we can't help it, but like we can make these little strides. And like you said, like when he connects with you, you encourage and you help. And I think that's what mm-hmm. our listeners were always trying to say, like we rub off each other in these tiny ways, but like we can't force each other because yeah. we do have family histories that go back millennia. So right. what about this? And I know this is a huge question, but what about when women are, uh, research has shown us that, uh, we've talked about this in some of my deeper dive episodes, but that women are feeling exhausted by the ongoing daily chores, the laundry and the dishes and the cooking that still definitely falls upon largely more women's shoulders, even though we know this is just a bell curve. Like, is there any solutions you've seen with couples where they're like, Hey, this is why I'm so tired. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, this is a a very normal experience again. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of couples make really good progress in finding some good balance Mm -hmm. in the division of household labor, which can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. But I think the first step is communication about your own experience. If you feel like you are carrying the mental and physical load of your household Mm -hmm. um, and that that's interfering with your relationship with your spouse because you are so exhausted all the time. Yeah. I would find ways to communicate that to your spouse. And it is normal for all of us to have some resentment build up when that's our experience. Um, but I would encourage you to try and engage in these conversations when you're in, when you're feeling okay emotionally and mentally, when you're feeling love for your spouse, when you're feeling calm. Um, oftentimes, the conversations that we approach when we're in our most frustrated state, which is when we want to engage a lot of the time, (laughs) we don't have the outcome that we're hoping for. But I think, I think saying, look, if I am primarily responsible for preparing dinner and then cleaning up dinner and then getting the kids ready for bed and then putting the kids to bed, Mm -hmm. then by the time the kids are down, I have nothing left to give. Mm -hmm. But if we could do those things together, I think that I would feel like I have a little bit more energy. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about how we can engage in these activities as a partnership Mm -hmm. and see 
And I mean, every couple will manage these things differently and that's okay. That it doesn't need to be like a 50, 50 balance for it to work with your work for your family. That's not what I'm saying, but I do think Mm -hmm. that it needs to be something that you decide together and it's purposeful. It's not just that you as the wife or mom are doing everything because that's the default. And that's kind of maybe what we're still a little bit used to as a society. Mm -hmm. It it needs to be something that the two of you decide together. Mm, Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because how many would say I prefer indoor chores and how many would say Mm -hmm. I don't. And there are some of those too, Mm -hmm. who are like that part of our life works great and we love the way it is and it's traditional and others are like, oh, it's opposite for us. So I like Mm -hmm. you saying like, you're not alone if that's you and don't try to just come from a place of frustration. Try to come at it together as a team and say, let's, let, let's talk this out like artfully and scientifically. Like yeah. we both want to be closer and more romantic, but one of us is tired or maybe you talk and find that both of you are extremely tired and that you lay out your schedules and you find we both are overdoing or yeah. so something <laughs> yeah. else has to shift. So I like how you're saying, just don't hide it. Don't just sit mm-hmm. and stew in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's easy, I think, to expect ourselves to do everything Mm -hmm. or even just like, we want our house to function on a certain level Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that, and so we take it upon ourselves to try and make that happen. And our spouse might have a different um, expectation for how the house functions, right? They might have different different bar for how clean the house should be or and that bar changes over the years what the meals look like right right so so communicating about those things it might not be that your spouse doesn't care and they're not aware of what you're doing they just have different expectations they're functioning from a different place so Mm -hmm. this is this is a conversation that will need to be ongoing for your entire relationship because like you said it will change Mm -hmm. you know, got it. You got to start it somewhere. Got to start with one conversation. (laughs) That's a good tip for everybody. You've got to start it somewhere. So listening with us today, please guys start somewhere because this is a worthy endeavor. Your intimate life is so valuable. And thank you so much, Carly, for sharing this information with us. We are so blessed and thankful. Yeah. I'm so happy to be here. I love talking about this stuff. So (laughs) anytime. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, we may have people requesting other topics from you and I want to let you go because I know that you are working so hard in these last days of laboring and maternity. So thank you. And where can everybody find you as a quick reminder? You shared it once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just the Christian sex educator is where you can find me everywhere. That's what I am on Instagram. Mm -hmm. My website is the Christian sex educator.com. So you should be able to find all the resources and things just by searching that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I want to tell you that Carly's website is one of the most informative that I've ever seen as far as practical, succinct, and yet 
full of info for you about sex, about everything you could want to know, about questions you need to be asking, and ways that you can feel more comfortable talking around it. She really does have a thoughtful perspective, purely intended to help you to be able to grow together in love and in sexual intimacy. And you are goal getting with us this month. So I'm so proud of you for doing your work because I know that it is a rare thing for couples to actually be working at this level to be able to say, we are not just letting things get worse and worse statistically like most marriages. We're working on it. And that's so beautiful. And we know that beautiful things take time and intention. And thank you for making this world a better place by building up your family, your marriage, all of it. Love it so much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as enneagramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.